Yes, so we follow on with the, um, the book of Acts. So we're in chapter 9, verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the, the Lord's people who lived in Lydia. There he found a man needing, named Ananias who was paralysed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Your mat. Immediately Ananias got up. All those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa there was a, a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name was Dorcas. She was also doing good and helping the, the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydia was near, lived near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still alive. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning towards the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with the tanner named Simon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what is known, was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those who need and, and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the, in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw the angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to those poor, to the poor have come up as memorial offerings before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devoted soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. 
About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up onto the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And when, and while the, the meal was being prepared, he fell to his, into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being lowered down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to the, into heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and, stepped and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. When Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are, are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter in invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in, in Caesar. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called together the re his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him stand, get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown that me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask my, why you have sent for me? Cornelius answered. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at, the, at this hour. At that and three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. 
send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is the Lord of all? You know what, was, what had, has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and, being, and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in that country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a, a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he, was, he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that there is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of, the, of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who were, he had heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter are, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that, though, that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lynn. That was a monster reading. Well, good morning. Love to see you all. Can you remember the first words that Barry said to you this morning? He said, welcome. Welcome, including Bronco supporters, I think were the words, right? Okay. Did you hear that? Friends, I want to speak with you today about insiders and outsiders. 
speaking on the day of a Penrith Grand Final is a gift for speaking about insiders and outsiders. Uh, because parochialism is never more keenly felt than when one team is pitted against another, when one community is pitted, pitted against another community. Uh, the parochialism today feels very much like the state of origin parochialism, doesn't it? We just draw the lines the same places, you know, down the Tweed River and away we go. We're familiar with this, aren't we? Uh, now, uh, parochialism doesn't just find a home in sport, does it? Uh, parochialism is alive and well in every aspect of society, isn't it? Uh, including churches. Uh, have you ever wondered this to yourself? Uh, why can't there be more people like me at church? Why can't there be more people like me at church? Have you ever wondered that to yourself? You know, my age, so that, you know, we, weren't, we know where each other are up to in life. Uh, my, my, my thinking, we have less agreements, uh, my, my background, so we'll like the same music, we'll like the same things, we'll do the same things. It is possible and quite natural uh, to long for a culture of people like me at church. It's even possible to justify it and make it sound godly. Now, there's something deeply ironic about that because uh, if that had happened in this passage... If the Apostle Peter had had that preference, none of us would be here, would we? I mean, most of us are Gentiles, aren't we? Very few, I imagine, have got Jewish heritage. None of us would be here with that preference. This passage about insiders and outsiders is critical to our mission and our purpose as a church. Uh, so uh, let's have a look at it. Uh, I want to ha- see three movements in this passage. Uh, firstly, uh, I want us to notice the extraordinary things that are going on for insiders, the Jewish insiders in Samaria. Uh, then secondly, I want you to notice too that there's actually something extraordinary going on for non-Jewish people in Samaria. That is the Gentiles, the outsiders. Uh, and then thirdly, I want us to recognise that the insiders at headquarters in Jerusalem eventually accept that these good things are happening for everyone, that the good news is actually for Jews and Gentiles, for insiders and outsiders. Uh, so so, so that's, uh, those are the three movements I want us to track with as we go through this passage. It'll help you have it open with you in front of you. Uh, we'll, we'll start uh, there in chapter 9. Let's have a look at each of these in turn. Notice the extraordinary things that are happening amongst Jewish people, that is the insiders in Samaria. Uh, uh, now, as we keep uh, uh, going through Acts, we're keeping a sharp eye on the, the sentence, the summary sentence of the book of Acts, which is Acts 1.8. And you remember that word Samaria appears in that verse. But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so that's where we are at the moment. We're in Samaria. Uh, And so in Acts chapter 1 to 9, you've seen lots of things happening, mostly in Jerusalem and Judea. And so this uh, seismic activity of the gospel is is going outwards. It's now going outwards to Samaria. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's what's going on here. Uh, 9 verse 32. You got that in front of you there? 9 verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Uh, so Peter is travelling north from Jerusalem, uh, northwest from Jerusalem to a place that's not far from the Mediterranean coast uh, uh, in the region of Samaria. Now, importantly, who does he go to see? Well, he goes to see the Lord's people. 
Uh, now, whilst that might, you might think, oh, he's just gone to church, right? Um, the, the reality at this stage is that the Lord's people are still Jewish insiders. Uh, so the Apostle Peter comes to Samaria and he goes straight to the insiders there, the Jewish people there. Now, what happens here in Samaria amongst the Lord's people is quite extraordinary. Uh, though I think at this stage in the book of Acts, we're getting a little bit desensitised to extraordinary, aren't we? Because we see it on every page of this book. Uh, and uh, so yeah, here is this man who's been paralysed for 96 months. That is almost 3,000 mornings. He could not get up off his mat uh, until the apostle comes to town. Verse 34, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Can you hear the effect that that's having on the Sumerian town there? Uh, Jewish people were turning to the Lord uh, because the apostle had said, get up, take your mat. He did. In Jerusalem, uh, this is exactly what Peter was doing. Uh, back in Acts 3-7, same thing. Uh, get up and, uh, and the person got up, the lame person got up. And people believe. So it's the same thing that's happening from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. Uh, It's that kind of earthquake effect you see in Acts. And and, and just just as uh, uh, we see that, we we move on to the next town. We see the same thing with a different person. He comes to a town, uh, the home of a woman who has given her life to help the, the, the needy, the poor, the vulnerable, which in this society often involves widows. Uh, it's a gravely heavy scene of grief that Peter walks into here. I wonder if you can imagine this. Uh, uh, Peter walks into a room where the, where the widows are holding the clothes that have been sewn by the hands that now lie limp in death. Can you imagine? That's a pretty heavy scene to walk into. Uh, really heavy grief. And yet the apostle says... The same thing to the, this dead woman that he'd said to Aeneas. Verse, uh, end of verse 40, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. Seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So extraordinary. These extraordinary things are happening amongst insiders in Samaria, Jewish people in Samaria, just as it has in Judea and Jerusalem before. Uh, But his apostolic witness uh, is suddenly accelerated beyond what all Jewish people thought was possible. That's what happens next in Samaria. And that's where I want to go now. I'll spend most of my time, time on the second point because I think this is where most of the action happens. So, but firstly, we notice what's happening amongst the insiders, extraordinary things. But those extraordinary things now start happening amongst non-Jewish people, outsiders. So here's, we, we meet, uh, we meet the, the outsider, uh, uh, this Gentile uh, Cornelius. You meet him in verse 1 of chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what uh, was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. We hear this description of Cornelius and think, well, we quite like him. He sounds like a good bloke. He sounds like the sort of guy that we'd welcome here, even if he was a Bronco supporter. You know, uh, he he doesn't sound like an outsider at all. Uh, But first century Jewish leader uh, inside of Peter would not even consider stepping inside this man's house. 
let alone have Cornelius come to his place, let alone go to temple with Cornelius to worship the same God. No way. This man is a total outsider to Peter. Now, it's not that Peter is a bad man. It was just that he was a Jewish man of his time. Now, the first century Palestinian Jew had a morbid dislike of foreigners uh, and everyone who was in any way different to themselves. Um, The rabbis had interpreted the Old Testament covenant with Abraham in such an exclusive way that any contact with a non-Jew was regarded as sin. It was forbidden. I heard of this example too, that even if a Gentile mother was in childbirth, you could not help her as a Jewish person. Uh, it, it would be, why would we be just bringing another Gentile into the world? That's how keenly this was felt. Uh, now, from my four goes at helping deliver a child, I don't think I'd be much help. But, um, uh, but if I was a Jewish person and I saw a, a Gentile woman, I'd have to walk, walk on and leave her to die. That's how keenly felt this is, this, this insider-outsider sense here. Um, in the words of one rabbinical proverb, the Gentiles were created by God simply as fuel for the flames of hell. Hmm? Insiders, outsiders. This is not Broncos, Panthers supporters, is it? This is, this is next level. That was the climate that these disciples had grown up in. Uh, now, for any first century Jewish person, uh, stepping into this good man's house would be unthinkable because he was a rank outsider. And yet, by verse 25 of this chapter, chapter 10, that's exactly what Peter does. Something massive has changed here. These social tectonic plates have crashed together, and you're right to expect a volcano. This is, this is seismic, what's happening here. Now, we're right to ask, well, okay, why? What led to this change? The outsider and the insider both have visions uh, that lead to this moment. The contents of their vision uh, result in this epic coming together of insider and outsider. Now, Cornelius' vision is is a simple one by comparison to Peter's. Uh, uh, Whilst the vision communicates an approval uh, approval by God to Cornelius, which is is no small thing, it, it was essentially a vision that results in instructions being sent to Peter to come and visit him. That's Cornelius' vision. Now, Peter's vision is connected, uh, and whilst the devout servant and the soldiers of Cornelius are being sent to invite Peter home, uh, Peter himself is having a dream uh, that actually ends in the instructions to go with these people to Cornelius' house. However, the content of Peter's dream is what convinces him that the insider should go to the outsider. You've heard the principle, never go shopping when you're hungry. Yeah? Yeah, why? You spend too much, don't you? Well, there should be a principle about never having a vision when you're hungry. Because that's what Peter has. Peter has this vision just before a mealtime. He's hungry, and guess what his vision is of? Food, right? Uh, Verse 11, we see it there. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. These are foods, food that, that, that Peter is commanded to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I like eating four-footed animals. So this vision presents no problem to me, right? Uh, but that wasn't Peter's experience. Uh, in Peter's dream, these are animals that Jewish insiders like him just do not want to eat. 
um, now I wondered if you'd feel similarly about uh, a sheep dropping before you with a dog, a cat, a rat and a cockroach. You go, yeah, not a hungry anymore, thanks. Uh, I, I don't know if that gets you close, I, but I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's worse than that. Um, but Peter is commanded three times to get up and eat these animals that, that he's saying, no, 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 I don't eat cockroaches. Um, and, and here's the principle that, that Peter was left with to reflect on in this vision. This is what the voice from heaven delivering the vision told him. Verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And that was the thought that Peter was left with. Uh, that principle arising from Jewish food laws is rattling around his mind now as he reflects on this vision. What does it mean? He was wrestling with what it meant when these blokes turned up from Cornelius's place. He, he, was, he was wrestling with the meaning of the dream in verse 19 when the Holy Spirit commanded to go with these guys to Cornelius's place without hesitation or discrimination. Okay, so where are we at? Both outsiders and insiders have had a dream. Uh, that contained logistical arrangements that uh, the insider would end up on the outsider's doorstep. Now, no doubt, insider Peter was continuing to wrestle with how to apply this dream until he crossed the threshold of this outsider's place, it became clear to him. Have a look at verse 28. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. So this principle from the dream gets this insider into a position that he would never thought possible. He's inside an outsider's house. Now, after being read into the situation, the outsider's dream was explained and his subsequent invitation to speak you can see the wheels are still turning for Peter as he wrestles with this, these new things that are coming together for him. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I, realize, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He then articulates this message of salvation for Israel. The insider gospel, it sounds like an insider gospel. You see it starting there, verse 36, sounds like insider, doesn't it? You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Sounds very insider, doesn't it? Watch this space. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. After framing the gospel, listen to who is invited for forgiveness. Verse 43, all the prophets testify about him that everyone, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44, see the effect it has on the outsiders? While Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, Peter also recognises what's happening for Gentiles and comes to this conclusion in uh, verse 47. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. 
They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter had turned the corner on his relationship with outsiders. This insider had turned the corner on his relationship with outsiders. With God's guidance through the vision, uh, this insider Peter had turned his back on the way that other insiders treat outsiders. He saw them now as insiders like himself. So it's funny, this, this talk of food laws for us is so remote, isn't it? Uh, Jew, Gentile, it's, it, it's pretty remote to us. It's not, well, what do we do with this as the 21st century church? Um, we don't struggle with the Jew Gentile problem, do we? As we see right through the New Testament, they did. I wonder whether we view this best as part of our family history, um, our church family history. You've spoken to people, uh, I'm sure there's probably people here who are descendant of uh, uh, for, uh, uh, convicts, uh, First Fleet convicts. You've heard people speak like that, haven't you? Um, uh, yeah, I'm a descendant of a first fleet, fleet conflict, uh, convict, and, it, and it's said with pride, isn't it? Um, as if um, being a thief was an aspirational thing, you know? Uh, and uh, and uh, you can see some people uh, take it very seriously and it becomes part of their identity. This is actually part of who I am. I'm a first fleet descendant. Now, as for us as a church, this coming together of Jews and Gentiles is actually part of who we are. This actually defines who we are as a church. Uh, in, in chapter today, we've been reading Ephesians, and uh, I'm sure you uh, uh, Ephesians 2 struck you this week uh, about Jews and Gentiles wrestling with this same thing. Beautiful uh, verses there, Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, dividing wall of hostility. This Jew-Gentile material is actually part of who we are as a church. There aren't many New Testament books that don't deal with this as an issue. Uh, this is our family history. This is our family heritage. In the early church, though, as you can imagine, it took a while for this to catch on. And that's where we get to the headquarters at Jerusalem. So third point, the people at headquarters in Jerusalem eventually accept that this good news about Jesus is for all people, not just for Jewish people. Uh, it took some time. Have a look at 11 verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. Can you imagine what they said? Verse 3, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. It doesn't sound like acceptance is going to come easily here, does it? Remember the attitude of the first century Jewish man towards outsiders? or as they're called here, uncircumcised, that is, without the physical marker of being God's people. And then Peter retells the story. I wonder if you noticed, as Lynn read it to us, just the repetition in this story. It feels like by the time you get to this end of the, the end of this passage, you've heard it three times, and that's because you have. Why? Well, God told Peter three times to kill and eat. There's a, there's a bit of a three going on in this passage. Um, why? Why all this repetition? It shows us just how momentous these events are. God, Peter, Cornelius, Luke are saying it again and again, once, twice, third for the heart of hearing. You know, like it's, it's repeated because this issue is momentous. This resolution to the issue is momentous. 
It's a major turning point in our family history and our family heritage. That's why documentation like this is just so important. Now, it's interesting, there is new information in this last retelling of the story. You can imagine that Peter is still working hard to understand what he's actually learnt from God and matching that up with the experience of life. And uh, he's putting that together now with what he remembered Jesus telling him. You see it in 11, 15, uh, chapter 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave the same gift he gave us, sorry, if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Do you see how it's all to come together for Peter very, very quickly? He remembers Jesus' words. He sees the Holy Spirit coming on to the Gentiles for the first time and he recognises the dissonance, he recognises the foolishness of standing in God's way, of continuing this separation between insiders and outsiders, Jews and Gentiles. And it seems like the Jewish Christians at headquarters agree. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objection and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, now that's not to say that everyone sails happily off into the sunset on the same cruise. There were storms ahead. This, was, this went back and forth a few times until acceptance was reached. But the Jewish Christians recognise that they have broken new ground here in the church, that, that prejudice had to be overcome as part of what God was doing through the gospel of Jesus here in Samaria. So what do we do with this today? Well, I started with a question after we talked about Barry's Broncos. Um, I started with a question, have you ever wondered, why can't there be more people like me at church? Recognising that if Peter had said that, we wouldn't be here. As a church, we wouldn't be gathering. As a church, we can't afford to think like that, can we? As comfortable as an idea as it is with having more people like me here, that insider focus actually rubs up against this really important aspect of our family history. Our church has got to keep breaking down barriers to people who might be considered as outsiders to our church and welcome them in, because that is the nature of the gospel. It breaks down those insider-outsider barriers. In fact, this is actually part of our vision, isn't it? Isn't that what we're seeking to be as a church? We want to be a landmark where all people, not some people, not people like me, all people of Penrith are invited, warmly welcomed to our church. That's actually who we are. And it's grounded here in our family history, in our family heritage. That's why that's who we are. That insider comfort mentality is always going to be working against what we long for. That is seeing more people experience freedom from sins. Seeing more people escaping from the rising floodwaters of coming judgment. Seeing more people experience life in Jesus, just as these Gentile outsiders experienced in this passage. Let this pivotal moment 
in our church family history keep changing us in the way that we view those around us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for the way that you've worked by your spirit through your apostles to bring many more people to the cleansing of forgiveness in your son Jesus Christ. Thank you that you don't show favouritism, but that heaven will be full of every people group and language. Thank you that amongst your people there are no foreigners or strangers, but only fellow citizens, members of the one household, built on the foundation of the apostles like Peter, prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Please keep arresting our parochialism. Please keep arresting our desire for comfort and drive us towards being as welcoming to others as you have been to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.